Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. We talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we're going to talk about the persecution of the church, what that is, what it looks like. There's a lot of debate in Christian circles right now about whether the church in Canada is being persecuted or not. And so today, Pastor Aaron's going to uh, dive into that with us. So Aaron, can you give us a lay of the land and maybe some of the various opinions that are out there and then kind of dive into this topic? Sure. Well, I thought what I'd do is I'd start off with a bit of an update for our listeners across the country and into the U.S., as to what's going on in in Canada. Uh, The one thing that's obviously headline news right now is that one of our uh, churches that's taken a stand against government-imposed restrictions upon the Church of Jesus Christ, namely Grace Life Church, just outside of Edmonton, um, they have had a very interesting week, to say the least. Uh, the officials have come in. They brought in a fencing company. They erected a fence around the perimeter of the building. For some strange reason, they then took landscaping fabric, black fabric, and covered all the fences in that so you, you couldn't see the building. And then they put another fence around that. I, I, don't know, I have no idea what they're thinking. But that's some pretty crazy stuff. So that's been going on out in uh, in Alberta. And many of you know that uh, James Coates, who's the lead pastor there, spent 35 day, days in a Canadian prison recently for refusing to bow to the Alberta Health Services rulings. So that's going on out there. Uh, here in Ontario, we have we're now in a quote unquote third lockdown, and that includes stay-at-home orders, where our premier. Doug Ford has uh, basically told everybody, everybody has to stay at home. They can only leave for absolutely essential purposes. If you go to the store for groceries, uh, one of my kids works at a grocery store, you're allowed to buy groceries. But let's say if you come up to the cash register with a t-shirt, they won't let you buy that. You have to actually set it aside, go outside, and you can purchase it through curbside pickup. (laughs) It's just (laughs) unbelievable. So that's going on. Um, Now, I I sort of inflected my voice there when I mentioned a third lockdown because what's interesting is Toronto is still in the second lockdown. Toronto's never left the second Mm -hmm. lockdown. Mm -hmm. So the the second is just sort of melded into the third. We have churches and businesses in Toronto that have been closed, check this out, since early December. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And by the way, what's interesting is the quote-unquote hotspots for ICU admissions is in the areas primarily that are still locked down from the second lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, regions like ours in southwestern Ontario, and if, you, if you're listening and you're not familiar with where Windsor, Ontario is, we're basically uh, pretty much um, Canada's most southern large city. Uh, we're directly across the river from Detroit, Michigan, just to kind of put some perspective on that geographically. Uh Last weekend, we had, I think, two people in ICU in our three hospitals here in the city with um, COVID-related uh, concerns. And there's there's probably in and around 300,000 people living in our county. Mm-hmm. So total lockdown on our county. So those are some things that are taking place. And um, it's it's obviously of, of grave concern to the church and the people of God. Mm-hmm. 
So that's obviously what's been going on. And uh, at this point, many people have labeled that as uh, specifically these lockdowns, how they've affected churches. Um, certainly what's going on at Grace Life have labeled that as persecution. Others have been quick to say, oh, no, 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 that's not persecution. Uh, everybody's getting the same heavy handed kind of thing. Kind of hard to argue that with Grace Life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, haven't seen anything else quite like that. Yeah. Um, could you speak to maybe those various views? Yeah. So um, the, the question, are we experiencing persecution, is, is for many kind of an interesting question. It's, oh, it's an interesting, fascinating sort of theoretical question. What is persecution? What isn't persecution? In some ways, though, it's also kind of an experiential and existential question because in, in many respects, um, you know, as you as you struggle under the burden of, um, you know, being told you can't open your church, um, being sworn at, being harassed, constantly being surveilled, being falsely charged, all of which I've experienced. And then a church out West where there's a fence, double fence around their property. Their pastor spent time in jail, a uh, church up in Waterloo, that has been fined $83,000 in contempt of court and can't dispute it. You know, on an experiential level, <laughs> looking from the outside and you can, you can wrestle with the question theoretically, but there's no question about the fact that we feel persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, now, <clears throat> I want to maybe point out several uh, things that are going on in our culture and in our churches today before I sort of make some very bold claims mm-hmm. that might help our leader, lead, uh, listeners think through this. So one would expect, of course, that at any point in history, the devil and his minions are trying to shut down churches. One would expect that. And every mm-hmm. Christian that's even reasonably orthodox should understand that the devil hates our guts. He wants to take us down. And he will use well-meaning people, He'll use vicious people. He'll use angry people. He'll even use people within his supposed within the supposed church, mm-hmm. professing Christians, to bring great harm on God's people. And I'll I'll point us to a passage of scripture in a little bit about that. But I, I would just say we live in a world system that's that's really opposed to what we're doing. So one thing that I experienced this week is I have a pretty active Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I have around 3,000 people that, um, you know, are Facebook friends on that. My page just disappeared. It's been taken down. Mm. I've repeatedly tried to get back into it to get a code in order to figure out what the problem is. I can't access it. I'm going to keep trying. So I don't ultimately know what's going on there, but obviously there's some haters out there, whether Mm. it's people from other churches, officials, I don't really know who have taken great issue with my stance. On Tuesday, I was at a restaurant eating bacon and eggs in mm-hmm. support of a small business owner in Leamington that was about to lose her business who decided to defy the lockdown orders and stay open. When I went there, there was 30, 40 people out front. When I came out, there was four or 500. I made a couple comments that were on social media, you know, to the effect that there's no life without livelihood. And next morning, I wake up my Facebook account, which I've had for years, 3,000 people, 
you know, watching my posts is gonzo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this should concern people mm-hmm. that we live in a, a culture that muzzles free speech. Um, we're, we're also seeing, if you look at the people that are pro-lockdown and that are chastising churches, they're, they're pretty much, for the most part, godless people. Mm-hmm. We have the, the druids <laughs> that are coming out thanking the government for closing down grace life. We mm-hmm. have a, a liberal United Churchman uh, out West that you know, has to declare his preferred pronouns on his letterhead, who's come out thanking the AHS for closing down the church. We have the Muslims uh, speaking to the government there, you know, thanking the government for closing down the church. Like the, the church needs to wake up. Mm-hmm. When you have Druids, radical leftist liberals who probably haven't opened their Bible in years and certainly don't see it as authoritative, the Islamic community mm-hmm. and others chastising the church for staying open? What 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 can that possibly be but signs of a spiritual warfare? Mm-hmm. Um, now, we do have some Christians, too, that are pretty violently opposed to what we're doing. You know, we have uh, pastors here in Ontario that have written article after article after article calling the church to lock down, calling the church to submit, and then they've essentially lied and said they don't have a position on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now one of them has become the, the 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 poster boy for vaccine rollouts, mm-hmm. and um, these these men have actually injured the bride of Christ. But the reality is, they have egg on their faces now because people are leaving their churches in droves. Many of them have actually taken government money to keep their churches open to keep their paychecks flowing. We haven't done that. We refuse. Mm-hmm. We'll close our church down before we ever take money from the government. These people have done injury to the body of Christ, and they're going to be held accountable to it. Um, and all, all of this stuff is actually just solidifying the resolve of people that have taken a stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it aids in the, the um, kind of that experiential persecution that mm-hmm. um, you know, many of us feel that we're under. Yeah. Now I was talking with a brother this week about, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we want to let truth drive our decisions, not emotions. Right. Uh, and so we've had, you know, people that maybe have lost a loved one due to COVID that react emotionally and would say lock down the church, like, because they've lost a loved one. Uh, we may have some people that are on the other side. They haven't seen anyone even hospitalized from COVID. Uh, and so they emotionally are seeing the the devastation brought to the church and they say, open the church. Like, so just to, to call it out there, we do have emotions at play and they're important, but at the end of the day, we got to come back to truth. And so maybe you could speak truth uh, to like maybe definitions of persecution or, you know, some people sure. have even said the church is being given preferential treatment during this time, not persecuted. And so like, can you unpack that for for us. Yeah, so this this might be a lot of what I've set up till now is more like sort of a, a, a news catch up. This is what's mm-hmm. going on. Here are some of the events that have taken place. But let's let's just cut to the chase. Uh, the church, if you want to use the word preferential treatment, does deserve, and in fact demands preferential treatment from the government. We're not the same as Costco. Mm-hmm. We're not the same as Walmart. We're certainly not the same as the beer store, or the marijuana store. We're not the same as the gym. These are all businesses and organizations that actually are under the authority of the government. We're not under the authority of the government. 
And it's shocking to me that Christian pastors, even trained church historians and theologians at some of our local seminaries don't seem to get this. Mm. The church demands spe special preferential treatment. If you want to use that language, I don't think it's a great language, but and here's why. Because the church is not an organization that just exists within culture and society. There is a ontological separation of the church of Jesus Christ from the state, period. Mm -hmm. I've used this illustra illustration many times before. If you think of a foreign embassy existing in another country, it's not under the authority of that king, that prime minister, that president, whatever it might be. It is sovereign soil. Mm -hmm. The church of Jesus Christ is sovereign soil. Our king, in this case, our queen, the queen of the church is not Queen Elizabeth II. Mm -hmm. The king of our church is not Doug Ford. It's not Jason Kenney. Mm -hmm. It's not Justin Trudeau. We are not under the authority of these men and women. Mm -hmm. We're just simply not. We are an embassy distinct, different from everything else in society. And our king is the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I, I can speak to the emotional concerns people have mm -hmm. all day long. Mm -hmm. But if you want to look at it purely from an objective perspective, whether you've lost loved ones or not, whether you are a health official or not, mm -hmm. whether you are the premier, the prime minister, whoever you might be a police officer, you do not have authority over the church. You, you simply don't have the right to tell the church to do anything related to its worship. So really what we need to think of is the church and state are kind of like in a partnership. Mm -hmm. And the responsibility of the uh, state fundamentally is to uphold public justice. That's their job description in Romans chapter 13. Mm -hmm. Public justice. The responsibility of the church is to herald the gospel, to be ambassadors for Christ, to you know, visit the sick, to minister the poor and the oppressed, to exercise church discipline, to baptize people in Jesus' name, etc. We have two different job descriptions. We work in partnership. So, for example, if the state comes and says, hey, we want your help with something, okay, we let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Or if the state says that we, you know, we have some recommendations, there's a plague ripping through our nation. The, the church historically has been a partner with the state. You know, we, we want to help the sick, the dying. We're the ones that start the hospitals and minister to the to the mm -hmm. to the dying. And we um, we want to um, uh, help our people. And and we we feel. Uh, an obligation to that. We think there's a great opportunity there uh, to partner with the state. But when the state comes in and just says carte blanche, this is how many people can meet in your building or, you know, you can't sing. The answer to that, frankly, is just get lost. It's not your job. It's not your responsibility. That's not your role. You've stepped into territory that doesn't belong to you. You're, you're exercising authority over an entity that, you have no authority over, period. Yeah, and that absolutely, I think, is where we end up needing to go uh, back to the the truth behind it and let that kind of unfold. And I think probably a lot of us, what we found is that we had maybe not a very clear understanding of that leading up to this 
pandemic um, up to the COVID-19 crisis, whatever you want to call it. And so now here we are and we're trying to, uh, to figure things out as we go. So maybe Aaron, can you take some time to flesh out a little bit more what you mean by the state working with the church alongside or the church rather working with the state in some of these things? I, I think we need to, we need to pers- uh, conceive of it as a partnership. So in, in Romans 13, again, we have this call to Christian people uh, to submit to governing authorities, which God has appointed. So in, in every nation, God appoints leaders. And again, their job description is public justice. That's their sphere of authority. That's what they are called to do. And they wield the sword. The church doesn't wield the sword. We don't go around, you know, arresting people and trying people and hanging people for capital crimes and this kind of thing. That's not the job of the state. Sometimes. Or not the job of the church. Or the right, job yeah. of the church, yes. Uh, historically, some churches have weighed into that, but that's not their responsibility. So we we applaud the uh, state when they call their citizens to account for criminal acts, even within the church, by the way. So I would feel very comfortable saying that the state has no authority over the church except in matters of public justice. So, for example, if a church was allowing children to be sexually abused within its walls or they were um, you know, using – laundering money or something like that, or they became, you know, a den of iniquity for drug dealers, then because this, the church is now acting immorally in keeping with God's law, then no problem. The, the state comes in, they arrest the pastor, they kick the parishioners out, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Matters of public justice, right? So, you know, years ago, we had a lot of scandal going on with Catholic priests who were being caught molesting boys and this kinds of thing. Not that all Catholic priests were doing that, but a a select few. And the state had the right and an interest in getting involved in the the quote-unquote church's life because the church was violating the criminal code and whatnot. That's not what we're seeing. Nobody's even – a health order is is not even remotely on par with um, the criminal code. In fact, what's interesting – is there's been a lot of talk about this in our criminal code section 176 here in Canada it forbids anybody from interfering with a worship service or arresting a clergyman on a civil charge this kind of thing so what we're actually seeing is government officials and health units breaking the criminal code in order to enforce laws that the church is not under so the, ch- the church is not under health orders. The church has no obligation to be under, the, be under orders from the local health unit as to how they can conduct its worship. Again, as because the health units are members of the state, part of the state apparatus, they do not have authority over the life of the church. This is our fundamental argument. Uh, if, <clears throat> you know, historically, churches were the ones, as I've mentioned many times, that did more of the what we would now call like the social justice um, activities and um, oftentimes because of lack of funding eventually turned those over to the state they became systems within the state and the church kind of backed out and kind of twiddles its thumbs and isn't even quite sure what its responsibilities are anymore 
I think the the church needs to take back some of its historic responsibilities. We we should be the ones that are feeding the poor, caring for the orphans and the widows. That that's our job, not the state's job. Um, the bottom line is that we live in a culture where we've given, for example, health care to the state. We've given it to the, or public education to the state. We've given it to them for so long. And frankly, it's time to take those back. It's time to privatize health care in Canada. It's time to get our kids out of public schools and educate them, um, you know, in, in Christian institutions, hands down. It's completely mm-hmm. irresponsible to send your kid to a public school these days. So um, we, we need to take these things back. But we live in a culture right now where those things have been given over to the state and we just think that's normal. And we have pastors running around thinking that and actually declaring that, you know, our church has a responsibility to submit to the government in any and every area. It's like, what are you thinking? They don't have authority over you in those areas. And frankly, they've screwed it all up. So even with regard to if there was a genuine plague sweeping through our country where 30, 40, 50% of people are dropping dead, of course, the elders and I would get together and we'd have conversations about how to mitigate loss and all that kind of thing because we love our people more than the state does. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're intelligent men. We know how to do that. We know how to stick handle those kinds of situations. And if, even if we didn't, we'd pray to the Lord for wisdom. This this would be our responsibility. But instead, we live in a culture where the the, um, the state has the church has essentially declared its incompetence to deal with these things and is desperate to take its direction at every turn from officials who again have messed it up. There's there's not a pandemic in our country. Let's not insult the the thousands of people that died from the Spanish flu or in Europe the bubonic plague by calling this a pandemic. It's an endemic. It's it's targeting specific groups of people. There's people whose lives are being lost to this. But to call it a pandemic and to sit here You know, I'm a middle-aged guy who literally knows by name thousands of other Canadians, and I don't know any of them that have died. Let's not insult people that actually went through a pandemic by calling this a pandemic. The government's messed that up. They've mislabeled it. They've mishandled it. We we aren't seeing mass deaths. Their 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 rules are contradictory. Their um, uh, protocols make no sense. We have fam- a family of five, you know, mom and dad and three little kids going into a restaurant. And, you know, little Johnny, who's five years old, has to sit at a different table from his mom or dad because those are the rules. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's shameful. So the church needs to take back its, its responsibility. So, so fundamentally, that's, that's my main arc, driving argument. that The church does not surrender itself to anything that Christ has given it authority over. We have authority over our preaching the sacraments, our organization, our ministries, our outreach, and the state can stay out of all of that. Mm -hmm. What would be some examples or some, uh, yeah, some examples of persecution in this time? So what, what, how far do you go and you call that persecution? So, well, I mean, persecution is the world likes to talk about discrimination. Even if you didn't like the word persecution, discrimination, there's some pretty weighty, fines and um, public pressure against discrimination, you know, by discriminating against someone because of their skin color, their religious background. But in our culture, it's open season on the church. So we have people um, swearing at us, 
you know, it's it's actually um, against city bylaws in our area to tell someone to, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, off. It's it's a it's against our, our bylaw. Um, people do that. They've done that to me. We've had people come. I don't know if, of of any other organization that's had the kind of um, horrid language levied against it. We've had the press actually misreport what we're doing, misrepresent what we're doing, even quoting scripture, believe it or not, in order to justify their position. We've had people come and throw nails in our parking lot. We've had uh, surveillance vans with drop cameras around our building, um, you know, surveilling us. We've been fined with extravagant, you know, fines. I mean, you could practically buy a, you know, have a pretty hefty down payment on a house with some of these fines. We've had a pastor in our country put in in jail for 35 days for preaching the gospel to his people in a church that's seen zero COVID outbreaks and zero COVID deaths. It's just unbelievable. We have double fencing around his church. We have, you know, the the, the Druids, the the Muslims, the 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 liberal lefties all applauding the government. I mean, what what more do you need? Do you need public executions of Christians to call it persecution? And the basic argument from our Christian opponents is no, because you have to obey the state. No, we do not. We do not have to obey the state when it comes to health orders. And the more they push them on us, the more we're going to push back. Mm-hmm. So I can just, I don't mind telling my audience at the beginning, we were pretty strict in our rules because we wanted to honor the, the state. We wanted to kind of signal to them that we wanted a partnership. The more draconian they got, the more loose we've got. And we we will not violate people's consciences and we will not surrender allegiance to the state. And frankly, the state's making a terrible strategic calculation by oppressing and not acknowledging the supremacy of the church over its own affairs because the more they crack the whip, the less we're going to, quote unquote, obey or even work in partnership with them. We will rebel against them in order to honor God. And in the end, I can tell you who's going to win. We will win. There's not even any question about it. We will win. Simply because we will never, ever back down. And if you have an army that says we will never, ever, under any circumstances, no matter what you do, no matter what you throw, we will never back down, then eventually we will win. Mm-hmm. And we might take a lot of lumps and bruises for that. But, uh, you know, if there's law enforcement officials or politicians or antagonistic Christians listening to this podcast, you know, you might uh, be angered by this. But I can tell you straight up, you will lose. Mm-hmm. The Church of Jesus Christ, his faithful, will triumph either in this generation or the next. You will lose. We will win because our king has given us clear commandments and you can censor us you can close down our facebook pages you can fine us you can imprison us you can lock up our churches you can fence off our property you can break the criminal code to come after us you can surveil us we will not bow to you under any circumstances the the consequences for us spiritually and eternally are far too great for us to bow to the state we will not bow to the state under any circumstances 
Can we take a quick sidebar? We've talked a little bit about the church. Uh, obviously, I heard quite a lot, actually, rather about the church um, on an individual level. And we've heard some of our friends at other podcasts talking about sphere sovereignty and that kind of thing. But there's probably many Christians listening to this podcast still uh, asking themselves spiritually where they're at uh, with these restrictions on their own family. So, i.e., we have a stay-at-home order that says do not gather with anybody at all outside your household. Um, where does where does the line get drawn in terms of our authority of like personal autonomy? Can the state say that? Do we have to obey that? Is that it? Um, no, this, this, the family also is a sphere unto itself. The father is the head of his home. He's the head of his marriage. And he ultimately will give an account to God for the direction of his family. He obviously, just like with the church, if he's engaged in criminal affairs or his family is engaged in criminal affairs, the state has the right to step in and execute matters of public justice or in the interest of public justice. But the state doesn't have authority to tell a family, you can't see grandma, you can't see you know, aunt so-and-so, you, you know, your kids can't play in the backyard, you can't go slide down a slide at the park. No, no authority over that. And so hopefully that's a bit of a, um, you know, a freeing statement for many of the listeners. The problem is, is that with family units, they're obviously generally smaller than churches and that the bigger the institute or the organization, the more public clout you have. So families might feel a little more scared, a little more reluctant to violate public health orders, even the ones that violate their own consciences or decisions because you know, there might be five of them or six of them or three of them, and they don't feel they have the clout. But I, I, would, uh, I would have no problem before God saying to any, any member of, of my church who's, you know, any household within my church, as individual Christians, um, if you are given recommendations by the state to you know, be careful in this area, that that area, and these people are, you know, well-meaning experts in the area of medicine, I would strongly encourage you to listen to their recommendations, but their recommendations. Mm -hmm. The state's authority is limited to matters of public justice, period. Mm -hmm. Criminal acts, that's it. It doesn't even have the authority to tell me that I have to put a dog tag on my dog uh, or a sticker on my license plate. Th these are things that the state has taken over so much of our lives and you know you got to sort of figure out what fights you're going to fight what are big deals and what are not big deals so you know I, i'm going to put the sticker on my license plate because it's you know at some point I, I don't mind contributing to the system either like i don't mind contributing to to roads and obviously i pay my taxes and all that kind of stuff but one of the things coming out of this that we all need to think about is the need to reduce the size of our government the government has taken over everything. And I mean, it's taken over marriage. It decides what That's marriage right. is. It's absurd. And it screws all that up. Now it decides who lives and who doesn't live with the, you know, the medical assistance and dying bills. Now it it's saying it decides what churches can say to someone who's wrestling with homosexual tendencies. You know, these conversion therapy bills. I mean, the church needs to wake up. I mean, the, the state is taking over everything and they're coming after you increasingly um and of course you have you know a lot of technology and all that that we've bought into to um to help them in their efforts 
Yeah. I was reading, uh, you had mentioned live not by lies. And so I picked it up and started reading it. And I think that's one of the things they made a point of uh, saying with technology that we've basically given away so much freedom in the sake of convenience. Um, So we have to think carefully about that. Okay. So let's think about some biblical insights in how we respond to persecution. Can you take us uh, through what do we do now? Um, What's our response? Well, there's several helpful passages. You have Daniel 3, where when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are are under an edict from the king to bow down, they just say, no, we're not even going to answer you. We have no obligation. And they had a pretty good relationship with the king up to that point, but we're not even going to answer you. We We don't owe it to you. So one of the responses to persecution is just to ignore uh, we're just going to ignore it. Um, we're going to keep living our lives. We're going to keep worshiping. We're going to keep ministering to our people. You can dictate all kinds of health orders and lockdown orders. And whenever you do something that contradicts what God has called us to do, we will we will just ignore it. So part of it is just kind of a passivity towards the um, you know anything that's unacceptable that violates the government's authority that crosses that line. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking of Matthew 10. I'm, I'm actually just starting a sermon series in our church on this. And if you haven't read Matthew 10 lately, it's, it's really worth um, reviewing, especially from, you know, verses five and following where Jesus sends out his 12, 12 uh, apostles and, you know, he gives them their, their task to preach the gospel and heal the sick and trust in the benevolence of other Christians to provide for them in the way. And he talks about how you're going to meet some opposition there. And there's going to be people that accept you and there's going to be fruit born. And there's going to be people that reject you. Just move on. Just move on. Um, he calls us to be wise as serpents later in that text. So just to be thoughtful in terms of how we interact with, with officials. So one of the things we do is we we like to praise good behavior. So when the state does what the state should do, or when health officials do what the health officials should do, we're the first to thank them for that. Um, we we want to be wise in terms of what we divulge. You know, we're going to speak the truth. We're going to speak the truth in love. It might sound, our, our love at times might sound rather aggressive. That's fine. Jesus' love often sounds pretty aggressive. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to keep telling them the truth. We also need to brace ourselves for things like corrupt court systems. It talks during that passage about being dragged before the courts. And sometimes courts, as agents of God, forget that they're agents of God. and They start becoming agents of the enemy. We need to brace ourselves for divided families. This is this is where it becomes very personal, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're seeing this where families are divided over these issues. And Christ predicts that. The brother's going to turn against brother and parent against child and all this kind of thing. So we just need to prepare ourselves for that. There's a, a, a theology of fearlessness there. And, and fearlessness comes when you realize they can kill your body, but not your soul. And your soul is what you care about. And your body is very secondary. This, this body will ultimately be resurrected. There's teachings there on the ultimate judgment of God and the rewards that faithful believers will experience. So it's it's a great chapter of of our gospels our first gospel that really helps us to understand what's going on and to and to respond to it appropriately we are under persecution 
Uh, the church is under attack. The world hates our guts. He's using people who are partly benevolent and partly selfish to get the job done. I want to be careful not to accuse, you know, all of our leaders of wringing their hands together and wanting to destroy the church, but they have their own agenda. Most of them are godless people. They've bought into the secular ideologies of our world. They, they worship the medical system. They believe everything the media says. They want to get reelected. They want to keep their hefty paychecks. They want to look good in the public eye. All of these things influence their decisions. They, they're hugely self-protective. They refuse to provide us with a rationale for their decisions. They refuse to listen to us. They toss people out of their caucuses and out of their um, command tables who disagree with them. So while there's some benevolence there, there's a lot of evil. And what our premier and the premiers across our country need to do is they need to ultimately repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prime minister needs to repent and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we do live still under a monarchy. Our sovereign, Queen Elizabeth II, in her coronation oath, swears to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Officially, this is a Christian nation. It's not a secular nation. It's not a Islamic nation. It's not a Buddhist nation. It's a Christian nation. Now... <laughs> It sounds kind of shocking to say that because we weren't taught that in school. We were taught the opposite, but it's, those are lies. That's rewriting history. This is a Christian nation. We acknowledge the supremacy of the Judeo-Christian God in our charter. And therefore, the church, as the ambassador of that God, has a supreme place in culture and society. And when the church is free to do its job, in actual fact, when we are truly benevolent, loving, I mean, even the pagans benefit from that, right? Even um, aberrant religions, in a sense, benefit from that because they ride in the freedoms that we provide nations to not coerce people into a religious faith, but to have you know freedom, uh, a measure of freedom of religious expression. So um, when the church is freed and unencumbered and does its job, everybody benefits from that. Everybody benefits from that. But in the meanwhile. We have a big fight ahead of us. Um, I have days when I'm very optimistic. I have days when I'm pretty bummed out what's going on, but we're going to fight on. And we do know that in the end, um, Christ will reign supreme and we as his servants will win. Thank you so much. Uh, any words of, well, those are words of hope, I suppose. Um, as we conclude, just wondering, maybe, I don't know if this is a good question to ask, but where do you see things going in the next six to 12 months? Well, we have public opinion increasingly on our side. Uh, it's still in the minority, but we saw, you know, hundreds of people, Christians and non-Christians out in Leamington the other day standing with, you know, a single mom who unjustly had her business shut down. The health unit has since said they're not going to be involved in enforcement out there. I think they want the police to do it and the police want the bylaw to do it. In fact, I know that's true. I've heard that firsthand. They're sort of playing that little game. But public opinion, I think, is is growing. Um I I think that we're, we we do have some there, – there's growing frustration. I think a lot of people are seeing the foolishness of this. We still have a lot of people that are blind. Um, we still have a lot of Christians, even pastors, that have decided that 
the state is their king, that the state can tell them when they can meet and when they can't. So I think there's a great apostasy happening in our nation, and that's going to be painful to watch. I I do think there's going to be further draconian measures, um, and t- including the um, advent of the vaccine passports, which is going to limit travel and all that. We'll see how that shakes down, but Ontario is trying to lead the charge on that. So that's going to be a big battle for people who don't want those liberties taken away. So I, I think that there's many good things that are going to happen, but there's also some bad things. S- strangely, as I, was, as I was driving into the church, I was thinking to myself, when all this is over and done, I, th- I think in a str- and I, this is the first time I've thought this, Chris, in over a year. I think I might even miss it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And not because I, I'm looking for the attention and not because I like the drama, but I, I do see a, a move of God among the faithful. I, I really, I really mm-hmm. do. I see a move of God among the faithful. I see people, people crying out to God in repentance and just being so grateful for the freedoms they have to worship God and wanting to be in church and wanting to take a stand and speaking out and not being afraid when someone swears at them or, or, or mistreats them. So there, there's a part of me where there, there's an eagerness in me to continue to see God at work in our country bringing, bringing revival. But I do believe that many, many lives will be destroyed in that process, uh, that there, there is a great apostasy happening in our nation um, you know, a lot of our seminaries are, are apostate now because they've, not because their quote unquote doctrine is bad, but because they have decided that the premier is their king and they have decided to bow to him. I, I heard of um, yeah, a pastor even this morning, a friend was telling me, they actually turned people away at Easter from their church. They, when the government went from, oh, 30% allowed to 15% allowed, they like deregistered people. And I just wow. thought to myself, huh, I, I would not want to stand before God one day and say, whatever the numbers were, probably several hundred, I'm going to turn away several hundred people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time, or finding hope and freedom in the church because a premier tells me I'm only allowed to have 15% of people in my church. It's just, it's so sad. Who would have ever thought that that would happen in the country of Canada? And the the thing is, even from a human perspective, people are not dying by the droves around us. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. <laughs> it's just a lie. So there's not even any reason to do it. We've had all kinds of people in our church for a year now. No deaths, no hospitalizations. I mean, even if we had those, we'd mm-hmm. still be open. But we just haven't had it. So I'm not even sure what you're afraid of. But um, the, these are sad things that are taking place. And I would, um, I would be so brave as to say that while these people aren't thinking about the issues, f- they are functional apostates right now. Hmm. They are functional false teachers. And many of them are crying out, oh, don't say stuff like that. It's dividing the church. Folks, you've already divided the church. The the, the weed is being separated from the chaff. It's very simple. Is he the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is he just the recommender Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord or just your recommender? Is he just recommending how you should live or is he your Lord? Is uh, the government uh, 
your government or are they your rulers? In Canada, we're not ruled. At least we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be governed. But it's been flipped. The Lord Jesus Christ has now become our recommender. Well, it's just recommended that you go to church. It's not necessary. It's recommended that you baptize. It's recommended that you visit the sing. Sing. Yeah, recommended that you sing. And the government has literally become like a de facto king. And people are bowing down to them at every turn. Put your mask on. So much alcohol percentage in your hand sanitizers. File people through this way. Arrows on the floor. Physical distancing. Plexiglass in front of your singers. No singing. You know, that we got a church that's actually humming. Literally. They just have their people hum. A, a funny a funny but sad story. I was talking to another Christian this week, and they said they were going to a church that said, you're not allowed to sing. You can come. You can come. You can sit. We will sing for you. And um, you're not allowed to sing. Guess what the first song was? Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Not actually. <laughs> sing a little louder. Wow. They're sitting there thinking, okay, someone's clueless here. You're You're declaring that we should be singing a little louder, but you're banning us. <laughs> from singing. Wow. And this is considered normal. And people are looking at each other. Oh, that was great. Yeah, that, that's normal. Folks, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so One thing I think has helped some people uh, come to the conclusion is to just push things to the extreme and to ask themselves, okay, if the church was in this state for the next 30 years, some people have said, you know, it's a temporary restriction. And my answer back to that is often, well, my life is temporary and that's good. The Babylonian exile was temporary and all these things, the world is temporary, right? Um, to just ask themselves if there is zero disease, uh, maybe we could see, foresee a future where there is zero disease and the church is still locked down to 15% for the rest of your lifetime. At what point do you say that's not okay? And if you say there is at some point, then it's clear that that is not based on so much a biblical principle as much as a, a your breaking point, your personal breaking point, yeah. right? Yeah, it's you know the whole frog in the kettle illustration is is a good one. Um, you know, two weeks, like whoa, two weeks gulp. Okay, that becomes two three months. Oh boy, that becomes a half year. That becomes a year. Now we're well past a year, and we're still acting as if it's two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, like one year, the Bible promises us in and around 70 years. It's one seventieth of my life now that's been eaten up with all this stupidity. That could easily turn into two years and three years and probably will. It'll probably be several years before we're fully out of the woods. And even if we get out of the woods, then there's, you know, COVID whatever, COVID-22, COVID-25 or SARS-ABC or whatever it might be. And the precedent that's being set I think is is going to be pretty hard for people to take. So I, I agree with you. We need to we need to really determine in our minds, you know, when enough's enough. And I think people, a lot of people, just haven't done that. They're just waiting for the government to tell them when enough is enough. And mm-hmm. I think that's very foolish. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for this conversation. I think it's been very very helpful. Good. I want to leave our listeners off with a passage from First Peter as encouragement. First uh, Peter one verses three. Uh, It goes on and says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged that this is obviously not something we want to (laughs) go running towards, but when this persecution does come, it does test our faith and that's for God's glory ultimately. Thank you so much. Please subscribe and rate the podcast and share it on social media and tune back next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. 